Hey mama, my name's Diana Ballard and welcome to the Mom Training Podcast. Prior to becoming a mom, I realized that if I wanted to continue living a life of passion, adventure, and fulfillment, I needed to learn from people who lived that way while having a family. In 2012, I started interviewing any mom that would talk to me. After hundreds of interviews, I found a pattern that the moms who struggled less all had similar foundational skill sets, mindsets, and habits. I started Mom Training, our live workshops, and the Mom Training podcast to continue my research process in a way that included other moms and families. My goal is to help other moms increase their joy, love, and fulfillment by creating an environment where we can learn and thrive together. Come learn the skill sets and strategies for a happy home, peaceful relationships, inspiration to be your best self, and more than enough time to do what you love while enjoying your family. Welcome to the Mom Training Community, where we learn, cry, and laugh together as we navigate motherhood. I'm Diana, and I'm so happy that you're here with me. Hey, ladies, welcome to the Mom Training Podcast. Today, we're going to talk to Brad Baldridge. He is a college funding specialist and a college planning expert. So he's helped thousands of families plan and save for college with smart and proven strategies to save time, money, and stress. Now, we are going to talk about something today that we've never talked about on this podcast because honestly, I've never even thought about this idea. College planning, you know, my kids are little, but you know, you you close your eyes for just a second and they've grown a foot, right? So you never know like how quick that's actually going to come where they're all of a sudden in junior high and then high school. And next thing you know, you're wondering where they're going to go to college and how the heck you're going to pay for it. So wherever you are on your journey with your children and your financial planning for them to go to college, I hope you can learn something today from Brad as we discuss some different prices of school, some things that we can do in early planning and in late planning and really diving into that because we want to be as prepared as possible so that we don't have the stress that can come later when we haven't done any preparation. So Brad, welcome to the podcast today. I'm really excited to chat with you. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so this is a topic that I don't think is talked about enough. And I kind of think it's almost the same like motherhood where you just assume that you're just going to become a mom and then things are just going to work out when you you get there. But, you know, we, we, we can't just think that we're going to just know what to do when we get to the moment. So tell me your experience a little bit about how you've, you've worked with people and you know, where they can get started. Right. Yeah. So I've been a financial advisor for most of my career. And about 15, 18 years ago, I started focusing in on college planning because I was working with families and realizing that as college was getting more expensive, it was becoming a much bigger challenge uh, for families to well, understand how to pay for it and how it fits into their overall plan. And again, and even since then, it's gotten even worse where college is now a, a major potential expense for many families. And it needs to be treated as such where, you know, good planning can certainly make a big difference. Um, you know, we've seen or heard those horror stories of people, with, you know, with $100,000 in debt and discover that their degree doesn't earn that much or whatever it might be. So there's all kinds of, you know, challenges. And I think lots of people are, 
you know, we're told that you just go to college and it's the ticket to prosperity. And that was probably true long ago when their costs were low and there wasn't that many college graduates, but as it became more, more and more commoditized and more and more people have it now, it's just almost necessary just to get the job. It's not going to show you that put you ahead of anyone else. And then on top of that, the price of college has gone up quite a bit. And now all of a sudden the math doesn't work as well. When you've got, you know, 500 or a thousand a month loan payments, you need to earn a lot of extra in order to make it all come together. So, and of course the flip side is many parents say, I, you know, college is the best time of my life. I really want to give that experience to my kids and you know, okay. What, you know, what does that mean? And what is that going to cost? And nothing wrong with that. We all spend our money on something, right? Some people buy fancy cars or have a lake home or whatever it is. Other people spend their money on their kids, sports or activities or gymnasium, you know, you name it. There's all kinds of ways you can spend your money and college can be one of them now. And again, it's not all dire. There are certainly lower cost ways to get the education if that's what you're looking for. But again, many times families aren't necessarily looking for the low cost, just like when you, you know, the family vacation, right? There's a really low cost way to go to Disney, but some people are going to say, yeah, I could do that, but I'm not going to, I'd rather spend the money and do it the right way. You know, it's a, it's a once in a lifetime thing and I'm going to do it well. And same thing about college, right? Is we love our kids. We want to make sure they get the best, whatever that means. And, you know, so that's where I think college also becomes a, stressful and emotional decision well above and beyond the actual, you know, facts or dollars and cents where, you know, I will see parents do crazy things as far as signing up for large amounts of debt that they wouldn't do for any other thing other than college, but because it's college and they feel it's important, they're willing to really stick their neck out. And sometimes they, they suffer for it. Yeah. Well, I know one thing that stood out to me, you talking about that is like, what can I do now as a parent to help set my child up for financial success in the future? And not just like, you know, you were talking about like the college and, and, you know, going and getting an education stuff and how that may or may not like give you the amount of money that you need to live or anything like that. And, but more of the fact of like, do I want to have my child go into 50 to 80 to a hundred thousand dollars of debt to start off their adult life. Like, Oh my gosh, like that sounds horrible to me. And there's so many people that struggle with that. And I was lucky that, you know, in my situation, I only had $5,000 worth of school debt that is all paid off. And I don't have any school debt for moving on. I have other friends that have just buckets and buckets of debt that they didn't work at all and they paid for their tuition, their housing, their food, everything with mm -hmm. their debt. And man, I'll tell you, those people have suffered for, I mean, they've been out of school for 15, almost 20 years and they're still paying for that college experience that, you know, may or may not even be what they're using now. Right. Right. Absolutely. I've, I've actually been doing planning where the students are 15 and 16 and the parents are 45 and the parents still have student loan debt from oh their own God. education. And they're trying to figure out how much more debt they should take on to help their kids. Wow. So, you know, it is a, it is a challenge. It's certainly not insurmountable. You know, I, again, I don't want to scare people into saying, well, we're just never going to do it. We can't do it. 
you can do it, but you got to do it wisely. And, uh, you know, again, for many families, obviously there's a wide swath of income out there and, you know, but the typical two teachers or the, you know, the typical family with a reasonable middle income or upper middle income, um, they get frustrated a lot because they're in that, what, you know, kind of the donut hole, right? They earn enough that they don't qualify for a lot of the need-based aid, the very need-based, the, the grants and some of the state programs and that kind of stuff. But they don't earn enough that writing big checks for college is easy either. So they're, you know, stuck in the middle and that middle range, you know, just to kind of put some numbers on it might be say 75,000 through 200,000 or 300,000 of family income, because again, as your income climbs, the types of colleges you're willing to look at get to be more expensive. And, you know, so it's not unusual for someone to say, well, you know, my college budget is 5,000 a year. Um, but I've had parents tell me my college budget is 150,000 per child. So it's, you know, it can vary and none of them are wrong. It's just, you know, the way they want to do it. Wow. So I, I want you to explain to us a little bit about the early planning and the late planning, because I know for me, I'm in the early planning stage where like, you know, you're just running some numbers with me right now and looking at things that's like, holy moly, like I've got four kids, you know, that are two years apart. And mm -hmm. so like, I'm going to have kids in college at the same time. So I'm going to be paying for multiple kids and trying to help them be as independent as possible to, you know, try to work and pay for some of their own things. Right. But, you know, the, the cost of these colleges are ridiculous, you know, right. for a kid to go to school and be able to make enough money to pay for all of this, all themselves would be a lot. And so, yes. uh, where, where can we start as, as parents in the early planning stage? Right. Yeah. So I guess the first question, and when you talk, talk about what is early versus late stage planning. So let's cover that first because it helps people understand, but what I, late stage is easier to understand. If you've got kids in high school and you're rolling into the process of, oh, we've got to visit schools. We actually have to pick out where we're going to go. And therefore, we're going to have to visit. We're going to have to do a research. We're going to have to pick a major, figure out, you know, the student has to figure out testing and the application process. And are they going to go to a challenging Ivy League type of school or, or the state school just in the local town? You know, and there's a wide swath of that. And then, of course, on the parent side, there's, well, how are we going to pay for it? What's our what's a reasonable budget? Um, you know, can we save more? You know, how much are we willing to pay for compared to what the student, you know, what we feel this, it's the student's responsibility. I have had a number of parents over the years say things like, well, I paid for all of my school. My kid can do the same, except the game has changed, right? You show me a kid that can raise 20, 30,000 a year to pay for college. And I'll show you a kid that probably doesn't need to go to college, <laughs> but right. um, that's the real challenge of is the game has changed and now we really need to focus in on things. So that's late stage. And that starts, you know, ideally earlier than most people think, you know, freshman year, sophomore year is ideal. Um, but many times it's junior and, you know, late junior year, which is in my opinion, too late. Um, but then we have the early stage, which is you have children younger than that. You know, anywhere from, you know, you've got kids in middle school all the way down to, hey, we're pregnant with our first, do we, should we start saving for college? And I have people that think that way, right? Of, oh my God, you know, college is gonna be expensive. We're gonna get to work right away. I don't know that I would recommend that, 
necessarily, depending on the rest of your financial situation. Right. But yes, you need to think that, you know, think about a family budget. So a good way to think about it in the younger years is to think about, well, you've got your income, whatever it is, a piece of it, you should be saving for your own retirement. A piece of it, you could be saving or applying it to college. And then you're going to spend the rest on lifestyle. And that is the size of your house, which dictates the size of your mortgage. It's how many activities you pay for the kids. It's how big the family vacations are to how many streaming services you sign up to all that, right. To what you buy at the grocery store and how closely you watch it. All those things are part of the process of your lifestyle. Um, how often you buy a car, you know, whether you drive it till the wheels fall off or you renew it every five years, all those things, right. Are all lifestyle decisions. The challenge is I see a lot of families kind of forget about college and I don't care what your income is when you roll into high school and you haven't done any forethought around college. Most families have learned to spend every penny they make, you know, maybe they're saving a little bit for retirement, but their lifestyle has grown big enough to spend everything, whether they earn a hundred thousand or 200,000, there's not much difference. Right. And again, someone earning a hundred thousand say, well, it'd be so easy to save for college if I had 200,000, but you know, the same could be said between 175, right? About yeah. Someone that's, that earns 100,000 that says, I can't afford to save for college. Someone earning 75 would say, well, gee, that should be easy. You know, just live like you have 75,000 and then you've got 25,000 a year for college. But we made, you know, decisions when we chose the size of the mortgage that we could afford, so forth and so on, without taking into account some of the other pieces that we might need to. So that's the kind of the first thing is to really think about, well, if college is important, you know, I have, again, I do a lot of what I call the late stage planning, right? So I'm working a lot one-on-one with families in high school and early college, trying to figure it all out. And, you know, they're always, you know, we can't, you know, we can't do this, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it really boils down to, they didn't make it a priority. When you, when you ask them, well, what are your highest priorities? They say, well, retirement and then college or college and then retirement. Those are almost always how they say that's our priorities. And then you look at how they spend their money and it's everything except college and retirement, right? Ouch. They've got yeah. the house, they've got the car that, you know, whatever. Right. And again, and we all spend our money, you know, and, and I don't want to be judgmental about where we spend our money because we all have the things that we feel are important. And it's easy to say, if I don't think it's important, you shouldn't spend your money on it. But right. some people, a nice car is important. For other people, you know, nice vacations is important. And for some people, the clothes they wear is important. Or important enough that they're willing to spend a little more money than others. And there's no right or wrong there. It's just, if it's important to you, then great, do it. But what, what happens, I think, a lot is people, you know, the subscription services are a prime example of that, right? It's like, oh, look, I been paying for disney but my kids stopped watching it three years ago and but i'm still paying 10 bucks a month you know can i have that four or 500 bucks back that i didn't need to spend but you know again we fall into habits and etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think that's kind of the you know kind of the the psychological get your head around it kind of thing of it's going to be painful because that's kind of the way the system's been set up because they they created need-based aid for people that need it. 
And they've essentially drawn the lines such that it's going to be painful at just about every income level. Because if you only earn 50000 a year, they're going to give you a lot of aid. You know, and looking on a chart here, maybe you spend, you know, 10000 or five or 10000 for college, but that's painful if you only earn 50000 yeah. And if you earn 150000 well, then you're spending twenty five or 30000 and that's painful because of, you know, where you're at. So until you get to a half million and up where all of a sudden now you really are have wide discretionary income, then, you know, at that level, I don't hear a lot from people as far as they're concerned about college because they legitimately can probably write a check somehow and make it, make it happen without much problem. But anywhere in between there, especially if you've got multiple kids, it's, it's a process that you should spend some time on and understand so that you can do it efficiently. Yeah. So what, what are some steps that we can take but let's talk about the early stage real quick here. What are some steps that we can take to prepare? Because obviously like the late stage is, like you said, going to schools, looking at things, picking majors, where you're going to go, different things like that. But what are some early preparation things that we as parents can start doing? Um, like, I know that you said like the mindset of like, actually like looking at what you're doing, you know, thinking about college and actually making a plan well, what's like a step towards making a plan? Right. So let's put some numbers on it. If you save $200 a month from the time your students were born to the time they go off to college, you'd have a sizable nest egg mm. and it would take a big amount of the pain off. Now that was looking backwards. So looking forwards, we may have to bump that up for inflation. Um, uh, another, well, an interesting aside, right? When you start digging into college, you're going to see all this, oh, college's prices are going up at 9% a year or some crazy number. And yes, they're, you know, it's for some colleges, their list price is going up that fast, but they're also giving more scholarships. So their net price isn't going up as fast. Colleges over the last 20 years kept raising the prices and people kept coming. So they raised the prices again, right? That's the work, way it works for everything, right? Why does Disney cost so much? Because they can get it and people still come. If people mm -hmm. stopped coming, they'd lower the prices. Um, but they don't need to because they're always packed. Um, kind of the same thing with colleges, right? It, it, depending on the, you know, how many kids want to go out of a particular class and how many kids there actually are. And then on now there's also the international market. There's a, you know, supply and demand going on where they can and they haven't been able to ride prices. But now they're getting to that saturation point where it, it hurts enough that people legitimately are saying, no, not at that price. So they've kind of meet, they've met the limit. So now that I don't think it's going to go up as fast. Um, I could be wrong, but, and then of course, education might change, right? There's certainly in the adult education has changed already where you can do online this and various ways to do it. But I think the challenge is for a lot of parents, you still want to give that college experience mm -hmm. to your kids. Therefore, it's not changing as fast there where parents that can afford it will continue to say, you know, college was the best time of my life. I want to give that to my kids or help them acquire it. So there's a little more stickiness there. Um, but anyway, so that's, you know, kind of the process that people are doing. And I think I forgot the question. What was the. Well, just like what kind of plan can we put in place to start preparing? Like, you know, right. okay. you said like the $200 or, um, right. you know, like thinking about things like, so yeah, that's kind of just 
I, I, I would really like to start preparing. I really have never thought about it, you know, and I have four kids and, and I, I've got some saving to do. (laughs) All right. Right. Exactly. And that's right. So, and I'm not necessarily recommending you save it directly for college, but you just realize that, well, if you've got four kids and you wanted to hit that 200 a month, that now I was 800 a month and you're saying, oh, wow, maybe we can't go buy that, go double our house size and go buy that bigger house just because we want to. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we got to, but, and again, a lot of times when people say things like, well, wow, I'm so good, you know, me personally, it was 2000 a month that I was paying in daycare. When that went away, you know, theoretically, I've got a 2000 a month free that you know, maybe I could save some of that for college or retirement or, or whatever it might be. But again, if you look at your family budget and your family financial planning, you may not want to earmark it all for college. You just may want to save it in general, right? Okay. And then because the rules could change, you know, some of your kids may not go to college. There might be a, a great alternative to college 15 years from now. It's hard to know. So if you have all this money socked away specifically for college, it might be hard to unwind it. But Many families could just say, well, you know, we don't really have that much in our emergency reserves anyway. If we had an extra $20,000 just in an investment growing that we could use for college or use for the next car or use for whatever, let's just make that our goal is just have some money laying around extra that can be repurposed. And, you know, when I run across families that come to me that say that type of thing, right? Well, we've got 50000 saved for college, but we got another 100000 that we just saved in general. Well, it's a lot easier to figure out their college plan when you say, well, okay, we're going to tap that hundred and take half of it or maybe all of it, depending on what their goals are and you know what they want to do. So, and then of course, you know, the other financial planning topics of, are you, you know, getting all the match you can at work? Are you funding Roth IRAs? Are there's other things that you could be doing that might make sense above it, you know, instead of college or in addition to college, um, and that's the other thing to realize is that most of college is paid for for a combination of what the parents are currently earning, what the parents have saved, the student currently earns loans that for the student loans for the parent, you know, family, like grandma's grandparents sometimes will have saved some and contribute or just be willing to, you know, put some stuff in for Christmases and birthdays, you know, another great right idea, right? My house is full of toys. I don't really need you to come with another $200 of the toys. Nope. <laughs> How about put $200 in their college fund yeah. and give them a token stuffed animal? Cause in the, in the end, you know, a $20 toy or a $200 toy is the same to a four-year-old. Yeah. And having money for college, they won't, you know, they'll appreciate it when they get there a lot yeah. more than, you know, the latest and greatest toy. Um, Right. So I think that, you know, again, so starting to set up some sort of savings plan. Another important thing to do is like what you and I did just prior to talking is understanding what you're up against. You know, so we've got the chart that we were looking at for Utah and Wisconsin that kind of shows some prices. So that would be the other thing is understand that, you know, for the typical upper middle income family, college is going to cost mom and dad 15 to 20,000 per year. Oh my goodness. Per child. Yeah. Minimum. You can always spend more, but yeah. that would be like kind of a minimum right now. 
Well, and I think too, like thinking about like giving the college experience, right? Some of my favorite memories were living with roommates and, you know, being, you know, next to campus and, you know, being on my own. And and while you were talking, I was like, hmm, wonder if my kids could just go to a college like close to us so they could live at home so we wouldn't have to pay for those expenses, right? Which I mean, obviously, like we're still paying for food and different things for them and if they right. stay there. But I think I think that's where it kind of like we get emotional, like you were saying, like we get pulled back and forth of like, oh, well, I could have them stay home with me and save a ton of money on rent. Rent is ridiculous here in Utah, I will tell you, for mm -hmm. like renting a room, you know, right. like five to seven to eight hundred dollars for a room, you know, um, and so it's like, oh, maybe we could save that money, but, you know, it'd be so fun for them to go and have their own experiences and have their independence and yada, yada, yada. So I think there is a lot of emotion that comes mm -hmm. in with us as parents in these decisions. And especially like, you know, if parents are really passionate about certain sports teams or, you know, different schools and stuff like that, you know, it really is a, a motivator for parents to want to send their children there. But I love how you teach how to prepare more for that. So yeah, if you want to go to some of these more expensive schools or you know, schools that are out of state or different things like that, like you really need to be looking at the numbers and realizing like how much it really is going to cost you. Right. And the other important thing is to understand that there's a list price and a net price. So as an example, the most expensive schools now, University of Chicago and the Ivy League and Stanford are over 80,000 per year. And that's total cost. So that's tuition, room and board, books, fees, beer and pizza, the whole <laughs> typical cost um, for one year. And that's a published price. All colleges publish those prices. You know, literally, that's the official cost of attendance numbers. Um, now, in the end, you're not going to pay for travel directly. You don't get a bill for travel. You don't get a bill for books. You don't get a bill for personal expenses. They get paid. But you might already be paying them anyway, because, you know, as an example, personal expenses is things like the student cell phone, which most parents of teenagers are already picking that up. And it's their dates and their laundry. And you're already picking a lot of that up potentially. Or maybe the student is earning enough money to cover it or, you know, who knows. But but you're not going to get bill for that. So then you can say, well, there's five thousand you can take off. So a typical state school, the average state school right now, twenty seven thousand dollars total cost of attendance on average. Well, you can take 5000 off and say, well, that's all the soft money we just talked about. So now the actual bill is 22000 Well, a freshman can borrow 5500 based on today's rules. So that brings it down to what's about 17000 that mom and dad are going to have to pay. Oh, my goodness. Because the student can't borrow any more than the 5500 without mom and dad either co-signing or mom and dad can borrow in their own name themselves. So there's the federal direct loan which is a loan to the student paid back by the student. And there's the federal plus loan, which is a loan to the parents paid back by the parents. And then if you want, you can go to the private market where you can get a loan that both the parent and the student are on. So it's in the student's name first, but the parents co-sign it. So if the student doesn't pay, they're going to come to the parents and collect anyway. Um, so those are the, you know, so the idea that the student graduated with a hundred thousand dollars from undergrad, well, a parent had to help them do it, most likely. So hopefully the parent, you know, is the adult in the room and will draw some limits somehow, somewhere. And then, of course, the other thing that we see a lot is where people get their undergrad. 
immediately go on to grad school and get a master's or something. And for master's degrees, they allow you to borrow. I mean, they just sign here forty, fifty thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. And that master's really needs to be worth it, or you know, you may be making a mistake. Um, and that's where a lot of people didn't think it through. And that's again, you know, I've got a, my master's in sociology, and I realize the job pays fifty thousand a year, and I've got twelve hundred a month in student loan payments. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> that didn't work. You know, you could have gotten there by working at McDonald's, net you know, money in your pocket. Well, I almost wish that when people would go make these loans, there was a financial advisor to be like, so let me just calculate out with you, <laughs> but well, this is how much you're going to make. And this is how much you're going to owe. And, you know, that, which obviously that that's does their exist. business model. Oh, it does. Oh, right. Okay. Not, not a person, but they, you are required to do counseling. So usually it's watch some videos, oh. you know, and again, just for that, right? People didn't understand what they were getting into. So then now they're required to watch some videos or go through this counseling process or do a workbook or whatever it is. And the gist of it is, you know, this is a loan. You're going to have to pay it back and you're going to have to pay it back whether you graduate or not. And it's your, you know, you kind of spell it out a little clearer because again, that is true of, and that's why, you know, the kids that were graduating in 2008 and nine into a recession, they're the first ones that realized that college wasn't magic. That, you know, they said, you know, I borrowed a bunch of money. Where's my job? And they just wasn't any. And so they, you know, they're they're the first ones that had the problem and they're, they're a little jaded, some of them, you know, because again, they didn't have the counseling when they signed on to those loans. And they, you know, they were always told college is always worth it. It's a fantastic thing to do. Everybody should go to college. And then they were the first test cases of, well, maybe not everybody. And maybe not every degree is the same as every other degree. And maybe not every college is as good as any, every other college. And where now it boils down to, well, you got to really think about it. It's just not an automatic, you know, is this major, you know, if you graduate with a nursing degree in today's environment, you, you know, it's a golden ticket. doesn't matter. You know, you could borrow all the money you need to, to get through a state school to get a nursing degree. And it'd be a very wise financial decision because nursing pays well. And you're going to get a job in any town, any city, you know, it just, they're in high demand right now, but that's not true of every degree. Yeah. And if you don't, you know, don't understand that. And again, a lot of 18 year olds don't, and that's where hopefully parents are helping and or school staff, the school counselors and the teachers. And, you know, I mean, there's another challenge that maybe you haven't gotten there yet is that parents don't know anything once your kids are 16 and 17 and making these decisions. So they don't want to hear about it from parents sometimes. So then maybe you need to bring in an aunt or an uncle or other mentor, family friend or something, some mentor that they might take a little more seriously than parents to talk about some of these things, or again, hire an outside person. And that's the other interesting change that's out there is, you know, I myself help families on the parent side of things, the finances, the, how are we going to pay for this? What are the parent responsibilities around, you know, applications and visits and choosing schools and all that kind of stuff. And there's also a lot of experts now that will help the student with what do I want to be when I grow up and what, what major does that translate to? And mm. will a big school or a small school be appropriate for my situation? And how do I find a school and what do I do when I visit and helping students, you know, from a life goal kind of thing. And also helping students from a 
process, writing essays, filling out applications, making sure you do the right activities and, uh, you know, build your quote unquote college resume. You know, if it's Harvard or bust, you've got a different situation than if you're saying, well, I'm just going to go to the local state school. So that's another thing that parents need to understand is going to the local state school is not as big a project as, you know, my kids far and wide. And they're talking about going to the East coast or California. Um, and maybe you've got, as you mentioned, you've got kids that are kind of back to back. We're going to have multiple kids in at the same time. So that changes the rules when you have multiple kids. So as far as how you qualify for aid and that type of thing. So, you know, I, the situation that, you know, the, the toughest situation I've seen is I've had a family of quads and I've had a family of twin juniors followed by twin sophomores. Wow. So, I mean, that, you know, the reality of that is you got to be very efficient when, you know, each kid wants to visit five schools and when all the parents are going to 20 colleges, oh my goodness. you got to plan that. You know, that's where, again, starting earlier with the late stage stuff, you can do you know, parents can do stuff even if your student's not ready. You can start understanding how does need-based aid and merit aid work. You can start understanding the loan process. You can start understanding how you're going to pay for it, whether your student's ready to visit a college or not. And then, of course, when your student is ready to visit, get out there and do it. And if your student's not ready by sophomore year, then maybe you got to get them ready because I think most families should do something in the sophomore year. It doesn't have to be high pressure then. It could just be, hey, we're going to go to, you know, the local state college is having an event on a Saturday where they talk about all the healthcare majors they offer. They've got nursing people there. They've got physical therapy people there and they've got, you know, lab tech there and all these different medical professions all on a Saturday. We don't have to take a day off of work. We're not going to miss any school. We can go learn about all these medical professions that you think you're interested in and get on a campus because a typical, you know, 17 year old doesn't really understand what college means Maybe they've seen one of those old movies like Animal House or something that does not really give you a, a good, a good, you know, yeah. doesn't show you what college is really about. And I know what the young kids are watching, but there's some, some of the young kids, you know, some of the younger stuff now too is on college campuses, but you get the drift of it is it's a process that unfortunately, just like everything else, it takes a lot of time and effort and some of your parenting bandwidth that a lot of parents haven't thought about. Wow. Yeah. No, and I love that though of of introducing them to it and kind of helping them know what the next step is in their life cuz honestly, once you get out of school and you've accomplished certain, you know, milestones, like sometimes you're like, well, what is my next step like moving forward, right? So I, when you're younger and you do have those next steps of, oh, we elementary school, middle school, high school, college, like you know, just teaching them that there are things to progress to and things to uh, look forward to is is a really great thing to start early, you know, okay, like, you know, middle school, you're going to be going into high school. What if we went and checked out the high school? Now we're in high school, we're going to go check out the college so that we can kind of get a feel of what our next future step is. And I just think that that mindset for kids is so healthy, because then they they don't feel stuck in their space but they realize that there's more out there for them to do um you know and to not have pressure like you said right. I, I love that idea right and another thing that are you know and again you're kind of between you're a little younger than i am obviously my kids are in college now um and i'm an older parent as well so 
But, you know, when we went to school, it was not unusual to have someone say, well, I just changed my major for the third time. So I'm not getting out of here for six years. And that was, oh, well, whatever, not no big deal. As a parent, you do not want to hear that from your student anymore because, I mean, that is taking a, a relatively expensive and making it crazy expensive. Yeah. So if you can avoid those kinds of things, great. But of course, that that added pressure of now we got to get it right the first time. And now you're saying, well, an 18-year-old or 17-year-old, you got to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. It's a tough ask. You know, and again, most 17-year-olds, they know what a doctor and a lawyer they at least I think they do because they've seen them on TV and they know about teachers. And but you know, I was talking with a, a consultant the other day and he said, you know, most students, when I ask them what their parents do, can't answer that question. Interesting. They say, Oh, they work at this company. Okay, well, what do they do there? I don't know. And you know, sometimes they don't even know the company. It's like they don't know, you know, that they're an accountant or a buyer or a, you know someone thing in the corporate rung or if they're in healthcare, what they actually do. Unless it's one, again, one of the known professions, right? We know doctor, nurse, we know, you know, there's 10 or 12 that most kids understand, but of so course true. there's, you know, another thousand that they don't have no exposure to. Um, so another part of the process of, you know, raising enterprising educated kids. Wow. Mind blowing. It really is like, Especially like when you, when you've never really thought about this step of life, which is like where I'm at right now, you know, you don't, you don't expect yourself to be there for a while. And so it doesn't really even cross your mind, but like, again, looking at the prices, like thinking about the future, like I need to really be serious about thinking about my finances, how we're saving and how to prepare for the future. So it can be a success, you know, and setting my kids up more than just financially, but, you know, being able to help them make their decision of what they want to move towards. So there isn't that changing of the major, you know, as hopefully as, as much, you know, right. Um, and just kind of preparing them to be able to think for their future. So I love that idea. Right. Exactly. And, and a lot of the stuff that you're is all over your podcast, you know, as raising self-sufficient kids around, you know, I remember when I was off to college, my roommate really couldn't handle his laundry. He didn't know what, how to do it, you know, and that's, you know, and he got a good ribbing for it, but that's, you know, that's the reality of there's lots of unprepared kids because, you know, they're again, through the process of, can they self-advocate when they're on something's going wrong? Can they go talk to a professor and solve a problem or, go online and get figure out where the health center is and go get a prescription because they've got an infection or whatever, right? Do they know how to do any of that? Or are you going to have to do that for them? And uh, we hear all kinds of stories about the colleges, right? Where a 22 year old's mom is calling and saying, well, we demand this and we want that. And they're like, well, you don't seem to understand that your student's an adult and it's his problem. And we really don't answer to you. You're not, you know, I re- you know, they understand you're paying the bill, but with privacy laws, et cetera, it's often really none of, you know, none of the parents' business as far as what's going on with the grades or the health or the anything. You know, that's all supposed to be private now. Um, so interesting. Well, and I will say that, you know, part of where our podcast got started and our, our company is 
because they're legit have been a very lack. There's been a lack of training for the younger generation in being able to take care of themselves, you know, mm -hmm. being able to step into their next stages of life and realizing that, oh, everyone did everything for me and life was really easy. And then all of a sudden, like, why is everything so hard? And why do I have so much pressure on me? Because they haven't been, you know, prepared for that. Right, they haven't exactly. been prepared for it. Right. And it's all the baby steps, the transition to middle school, the transition to high school, and then ultimately the transition to college, where ideally, you know, each of those transitions comes with additional responsibility. And, you know, I always make the joke of why does the, you know, and I do it at the dinner table. So my kids would hear me. It's like, why does your teacher keep sending me information about your homework? Do they think I'm going to do your homework? I'm, I'm confused. Why do they send that to me? And to kind of get the point across that it's not my job to pay attention to your homework. I'm not going to make sure you did it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to take the cell phone away when the teacher says you haven't done it. Yeah. And, you know, leave it at that. Cause it just cannot be my responsibility. You know, and again, you maybe you're not quite there yet, but when you have four kids, you just cannot run four schedules when they're teenagers and maintain your own life as well. At least I couldn't, I mean, maybe there's some, really capable people out there that could do that kind of thing, but that's certainly not something I would ever try and do. Yeah. They have to be able to take care of themselves with different levels of different ages. I totally right there with you. I love that. So Brad, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, is it coaching or, you know, people working with you? Do you do groups? Do you do one-on-one? -on -one? Tell us a little bit about that, of how families can work with you in preparing for college and also where they can find you. Right. So everything we've been talking about is at tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. That's my website. It's also the name of my podcast. So you, if you're interested in learning more and you're know, interested in podcasts on the subject, you can go there wherever podcasts are sold. Um, and then from there, you know, I do help families one-on-one -on -one and primarily focused on what I would call late stage planning. So typically parents of high school kids where we're really buckling down and and having to work out all the details. Um, I can help families with the savings plans and some of those things, but I just don't get that much traction with it. it you know, again, people with their head in their sand. But when it comes to you know, but when you have a sophomore or junior and say, "Oh my God, now we're here," all of a sudden there's more motivation. But you know, like I said, so I'm happy to help anyone at any stage, but I don't hear from the younger parents that often. Um, but I am working on launching a course. So we'll have a college planning jumpstart, which is a online course that'll give you the basics. And then I work one-on-one -on -one with families for a fee. My typical fee is uh, $2,250 uh, and up. If you've got more complexity, you know, we haven't talked much about that, but if you own a business or got multiple kids or twins or divorced and blended families, there's things that just make it even more complicated. Uh, if you're a far and wide kid that's looking at all, you know, the Ivy Leagues or something, they work differently than the rest of the school. So then another layer of complexity. Athletes, you know, there's all kinds of things that can just, you know, make it more complicated than just your standard college planning. Um, so, yeah. So, I like I said, I can help people one-on-one. -on -one. You can reach out through the website, schedule an introductory meeting if you'd like, or give us a call. 
um, or just. And you have so many resources on your website too. Yes, exactly. So scholarship guide for busy parents, which kind of gets you up to speed on scholarships, which is another, you know, that's another whole podcast potentially. Um, the cost of colleges for each state is out there with the, not just their list price, but their net cost based on income. So we kind of touched on that where, you know, the average school is 27,000 but you don't necessarily pay, you know, average public school, the average private school is 54,000, but you don't pay 54 on average. You pay more like 34 on average or 38, still more than the state school, but not double. Um, So there's understanding there of, you know, lots of kids, you know, there's lots of private schools and lots of kids go to those private schools. So somebody, you know, thinks they're worth it and they're figuring it out. So if that's going to be you again, another layer of complexity. Um, so yeah, so there's a, all kinds of free resources and guides and blog posts and podcasts and all that stuff is all there at tamingthehighcostcollege.com. Awesome. Brad, thank you for sharing and opening our eyes to where we need to focus. Um, I love preparation. I love thinking about things early because it really does prevent a lot of pain in the future. Um, and a lot of stress in the future. And, you know, most of us want to enjoy our life, you know, so it's, it would be better for us to be thinking more in advance and really planning for the things that are important to us. So if college is important to you, ladies and your family, um, I'd highly recommend going to Brad's website. We will have his, all of his links in the show notes. You can click on and be able to go to his website and check out some things, check out his free resources, his podcast. So Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, ladies, we will see you next Tuesday on the Mom Training Podcast. Hey mama, thank you so much for hanging out with me and letting me be a part of your day. If you'd like to see how I apply some things that we talk about, tips, some mom humor, or just to connect deeper, follow me on Instagram at Diana Ballard Live. If this episode or any episode was helpful for you, please consider leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts. It's literally the lifeblood for a podcaster, and it helps me so much. If you'd like to learn more about me or mom training and how we can help you implement more things you learn here on the Mom Training Podcast to make life flow smoother, to be more fulfilled, and create and protect what you love, head to dianaballard.com. There are free downloads, online programs, our mom training membership with our monthly workshops, and other resources to help you create the life you want. Thanks for tuning in. Know I'm always rooting for you and believing you. I am Diana Ballard, and this is the Mom Training Podcast.